Welcome into the His of Nurse podcast. I'm Zach Bennett alongside my sister Paige. And today we have a recap of the NFL week two regular season. And we thought week one was crazy. Week one, fe- week two featured some unbelievable comebacks and some amazing finishes, things that haven't happened in the last 50 years. It was bananas. Uh, we're going to cover all that, the big upsets where teams are sitting at 0-2, what teams of the 0-2 pool we think are going to make a run at the playoffs later on this year. We get into all that and more here on this episode of the His and Hers podcast. As I mentioned, Paige, it was an insane week to... It, fin- it featured some unbelievable comebacks from the Jets, a shutout, a shutout of the Colts by the Jaguars, the Dolphins, Dolphins and Tua overcome a three-touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter, the Buccaneers Saints getting into a fistfight on the field, the Bengals get upset by Cooper Rush and the Cowboys, and the Bills and Eagles annihilate the Titans and Vikings, respectively, on Monday Night Football. What an amazing week, too. I guess, depending on who your fan base is. Uh, <laughs> but from just an objective point of view, an amazing start to the season. What was the game in week two that stuck out to you the most and made the biggest impression on you, Paige? Uh, Bills are seriously good. Like they, you know, a lot of teams going into the season, there's always a team that people hyper focus on as being like, this is going to be the team that's insane this year. And I feel like majority of the time we get it wrong, but the bills look so good. Like the way that they're playing football. I just, I don't know how anyone else is going to beat them. <laughs> I I don't know how anyone's going to beat them. I mean, what a tough spot to be in. If you're the Titans uh, to, to give up the lead, um, to the Giants in week one and then have to op- play the home opener on Monday night football against the Bills. It just was a tough draw for him. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen's connection looks as strong as ever. Big play threat. Gabriel Davis is out for him. And they were he was just able to attack them all night long. My question for you is not about the Bills. I think the Bills are a wagon. And we have a great week three game between them and the Dolphins coming up. That's going to be awesome to watch. Um, how long until Malik Willis is starting for the Titans in place of Ryan Tannehill? Like how much longer are you as a Titan fan? Do you want to watch what they have currently going? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was tough to see Tannehill on some of those plays last night, just a decimal, like just looked so bad from an offensive perspective. I say if they, I say if they lose week three, week four, we might start seeing him out there and Tannehill benched because at that point, when you're in like an 03, 04 hole, the likelihood of crawling out of that to make it to a playoff seed is like so unlikely. And so it's like, why not give uh, the rookie the chance to go out there and kind of show you what he can do and start building something new? Yeah, and what's really interesting, not to get too far ahead, but a big game uh, that's gotten ramped up between um, the Raiders and the Titans. That's in week three. You want to talk about a game that they neither of them thought they'd be in that position. But a team that was the number one seed now staring at a season kind of spiraling away from them pretty quickly. Uh, you know, And there's teams that always end up coming back from the hole, and we'll get into this at the end of the episode, what team we think has the best chance making the playoffs after starting 0-2. But 
But, you know, we showed the stat of it was 14% chance from all the way from 1990 to 2019 that if you started on two, you made the playoffs. Um, since it expanded to 17 or since 2020, including the year of the expansion, there hadn't been a team that made the playoffs. I think there's 14. It was either 14 or 17 teams start 0 and 2 and none of them made the playoffs. So there is still a very strong sample case that starting on two as crazy as it seems in a now 17 game season, you're just playing catch up the entire year and you have to play perfect for a pretty long stretch to get back up in front. Um, for me, a really impressive game. Obviously, it was the one that's been talked about a ton. And I think that there's some level of overreaction to it is the Dolphins and the Ravens. Um, it all came down to a really great fourth quarter for one team and a really te terrible quarter for another. Tua and the Dolphins down 35 to 14 at the beginning of the fourth quarter, end up winning 42 to 38. What was your biggest impression from that game, seeing Tua throw it around for six touchdowns, Jalen Waddle and, and Tyree Kill just running amok on that Ravens secondary. I just think this is kind of like, this is just the type of quarterback that Tua is. And it's like, you can build a franchise, you can have a franchise quarterback that's not the style of a Tom Brady, where they're just always smart, always on and able to make really smart decisions. Tua is one of those more explosive players. I mean, we saw it at Alabama when he went in and won in that overtime game when Jalen Hurts got pulled out. But it's like Tua is able to make big plays in big moments. And I just think that there's been so much talk around him for so long about like, is this going to be our guy? Is this going to be our guy? And obviously that's a question that every franchise asks about their quarterback consistently, unless you have a quarterback like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, where you know that they're your guy. But I don't know. I think I think Tua, I think he's a great quarterback. I think he's shown us that he's a good quarterback and that he can win in big moments. And so I don't know. It's just interesting because it's like I feel like Lamar and Tua are kind of similar in the sense of like they have really crazy plays and they're so much fun to watch because they will just do the craziest things on the field. Um, and obviously it was so fun to watch. Uh Tyreek Hill and Waddle just kind of like that's kind of the plays that we were like hoping and expecting from them on that offense so I think we can anticipate to see a lot of games like this where the Dolphins look really bad in certain halves and then really good in other halves and I think it's gonna sometimes be reversed where it's like their good their good half is in the first two quarters and their bad halves in the latter two and so I think that we can just kind of expect like kind of an up and down season for the Dolphins where they have these major wins, but then they'll also have some really disappointing losses. Yeah, I think it's it's a pretty interesting uh, kind of game flow where they were down 28 to 7 uh, going into halftime. And as mentioned, down 35 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. They outscore the Ravens 28 to 3 in the fourth quarter. Tua finishes 36 for 50. 469 yards, uh, six touchdowns, and two interceptions. And I think the most startling thing is the uh, um, the balance attack between Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Both finished with 11 receptions. Hill finished with 190 yards and two touchdowns. And Jalen Waddle finished with 171 yards and two touchdowns. Absolute insanity to have two receivers <laughs> with that many yards. Yeah, and and – it, even there's two touchdowns go around. Mike Kosicki scored one of them, and then River Crawcraft one catch for two, you know, two yards and touchdown. So I think what Mike McDaniels, it's amazing what belief in somebody will do to him. 
and Mike McDaniel has spent the entire offseason, Tyreek Hill can be mentioned in there as well, of pumping up Tua, making him believe and saying, you know, the most accurate quarterback that Tua's ever played with. That's a quote that he put out there. You know, Mike McDaniel saying he throws an unbelievable deep ball, super smart, savvy player. All of those things are boosting his confidence so that he can go out there and in the fourth quarter just make those type of throws. Just trust it. You know, kind of have a gunslinger mentality. And I love the Dolphins approach of let's just get the two fastest guys in the NFL or some of the two of the fastest guys, just throw them on the field and have them run straight and just see if we can throw them far enough ahead. Like I bring, that's pretty much what that game plan, those three touchdowns they scored in the fourth quarter, three of the four were just straight, just fly routes, two of them to tire kill. Uh, it makes your offensive game plan pretty, pretty easy if you have the fastest guy in the NFL who can catch. So not too bad. I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if this is kind of flash in the pan. We see every year uh, a young team kind of start hot. Uh, obviously, they have a really big test with the Bills in week three that we'll talk about later this week. But, like, it reminds me a little bit of Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals last year, um, where I believe they even started 8-0, so even a, a longer uh, road of history there. But with a smaller frame quarterback, with what it takes to succeed in the NFL, I don't know if this type of football is sustainable for them to make a deep run or even be a higher seed in the playoffs, but obviously I could be proven wrong pretty easily. I know it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. All I care about in that game, honestly, was that uh, between Lamar Jackson giving me 50 points and Stefan Diggs giving me 50 <laughs> points, I completely blew out the team in fantasy football. So it was a good true. week for me. That was a big fantasy game. That is yeah, a very good point. seriously. Very good point. Um, obviously the Bucks and Saints was a slugfest for three and a half quarters. Ugly football. Ugly football. No team could move the football at all. The Saints moved the football on the very first drive, got a got into the red zone and got a field goal, and then they just forgot how to play offensive football the rest of the way. Um, and the Buccaneers, Tom Brady was frustrated. Offensive line was getting dominated. They couldn't run the football. He's breaking uh, iPads on the sideline. <laughs> Just yelling obscenities at his offensive line and asking where Gronk is, uh, praying that Giselle doesn't leave him. And it, it culminated in the he, you know, threw a, a, a route down the sideline. The um, Marshawn Lattimore gets tangled up with one of his wide receivers, I believe it was Scotty Miller. Both of them are clamoring for a flag. Marshawn Lattimore is a pretty well-known trash talker. Him and Mike Evans have had previous altercations in the past. He says something to Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady takes offense to it. He gets in Marshawn Lattimore's face. Leonard Fournette has Tom Brady's back. And then Mike Evans, out of nowhere, come and, comes and lays out Marshawn Lattimore um, and ends up in, in a big brawl. And really kind of the turning point in that game because – um, they get the ball back. The Tom Brady does, I believe, off of Jameis Winston interception. And then the next play, they score a touchdown that was kind of a separating touchdown because it looked like the Saints were going to be able to move the ball. And then on the next drive, Jameis Winston threw the pick six that sealed the game. So not very often do you see a brawl kind of determine a game. And not necessarily that I did. I still think the Bucs find a way to win because you have Tom Brady on one side, Winston on the other. Uh, and but Winston on a day where he's throwing interceptions. <laughs> Just yeah, not and no touchdowns. Usually it's a good mix. This one, there was no mix. It was just yeah, it was just straight, straight interceptions <laughs> all night. But what'd you take away from that Buck Saints uh Saints game? Is there any concern about Tom Brady? There's back-to-back -back games. 
this this game they scored 13 points. The previous game against Cowboy, they scored 19. Is there any concern about his ability to perform on the offensive side with a subpar offensive line? Honestly, no, because I think that this is I think that them starting out two and zero is explanatory because we all kind of guessed that they would have a slow start with the fact that like they've got a lot of injuries. Tom Brady's been like a little bit off this offseason, but the Bucks are starting two and zero against like teams that they very well could have easily lost to. And so I think because they were able to pull out wins in both of these games, that this is going to be a standard Tom Brady season where the Bucks will end up losing uh, like three, four games tops. <laughs> and they're only going to get better as they go on. Like, I just think the presence that Tom Brady brings and I like, he didn't come back. I don't, he didn't come back to the NFL for a final year to not play well. Like he's going to play well and he's going to figure it out. Yeah, and I think that defense is just showing that they probably won't have to score very many points. Yeah, the defense will carry them through. Yeah, in in through two games, the Bucks have given up the same amount of touchdowns that they have scored, one to one. So they're showing that uh, it's kind of it'd be very very interesting to have Tom Brady finish his career similar to how he started with the defense carrying him a little bit to his championship. Not that he's anywhere, you know, he's improved in a lot of ways. What's amazing about watching Tom Brady compared to quarterbacks, that obviously age is his velocity and the balls haven't changed. Like that TB 12 method is legit. Uh, he can still whip it around and make all the throws with the same amount of velocity, if not more than when he was playing back in his twenties, it's just a spectacle to really see. I just, the only thing that you ever worry about Tom Brady, obviously never been a mobile guy uh, with Ryan Jensen being out for the year. You've been, you've been able to see what interior pressure is doing to him. Uh, you know, having to get the ball quicker than he likes, not feeling comfortable, not wanting to get hit. So I just wonder when they go up against teams, you know, like a Los Angeles Rams or get matched up in the playoffs with a team with a strong defensive tackle uh, or three technique, they're going to be forced to play outside of their comfort um, and not be able to execute the game plan that they want to. But in time, you trust in a lot of ways to get it done. So what other games made impressions on you from week two? The Lions are good, man. Yeah, I'm nervous for the Lions week three. Same. Same. Are the Lions good? (laughs) (laughs) Some are saying. It's just, I'm pretty impressed by that one. That was just kind of, it's just kind of fun to see a team like the Lions who've obviously had bad seasons in the past um, kind of play really, really well. So that was exciting. Um, Obviously Cardinals game was really fun. A crazy finish to that game. Um, curious on your take on that. I mean, what's, what's the current take on, I mean, love to talk about Cardinals Raiders. That's obviously a big hole for the Raiders to crawl out of, especially in the division that they're in now that they're in last place there, that they have a lot of room to make up. Um, so what are you thinking on the Raiders and the Cardinals? Cause we, we betted against Cliff Kingsbury. We didn't think he'd pull it out and somehow Kyler Murray, <laughs> running around the entire field was able to do some pretty incredible plays. Yeah. uh, The only stat real quick on the Jared Goff led lions that I thought was really interesting. They going back to the last game of last season, they've scored 35 points in three straight games. And the stat I saw was that that was the first time that's happened for the lions since the 1950s. So that's insane. Really high potent offense. And, you know, to have Matthew Stafford for so long, 
and to basically be given um, to be paid to take on Jared Goff and and Jared Goff isn't you know the you know upper echelon quarterbacks but he is he isn't a slouch who's a number one overall pick took a team to the Super Bowl so to have him a part of your team and 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 being able to be stable in that position he threw four touchdowns on Sunday um, I think it's really building out what Dan Campbell wants to do and I don't think Dan Campbell really cares to have an elite elite quarterback uh, he wants to have the other pieces around have a tough defense and and make some plays which they did on Sunday but to get back to your question um you know the only thing i have to say is the raiders is kind of shocking to how their season has started um you know you think a team that has a, a basically a two touchdown 16 point lead in the fourth quarter would be able to close it out particularly with a with a coach like mcdaniels coming from um bill belichick's system and already being a coach before i just don't know i mean kyler murray is one of the rare athletes in the NFL of speed and, and being able to throw. I mean, that that two-point conversion throw he had right before the end of the game, was. I mean, it was inches. It was thrown into a mailbox. Um, and then being able to have a play that lasted 20 seconds and running 80 yards to get that two-point conversion. I mean, everything had to go right. I mean, everything had to go right for him in order for them to win that football game. And so is it sustainable? No. So unless they get off to quicker starts and Kirk, uh, Cliff Kingsbury has better game plans going into the game, they're, they're just going to continue to fall flat on their face, find themselves behind and not be able to play perfect football to pull one out of their butt. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing is I think Cardinals are going to be same as they were last year. Well, they'll have like these really like random wins that are super fun. And then they'll have a lot of losses. That's just feels painful for the Cardinals defense. Obviously, I think one of the biggest news coming out of Sunday that we haven't talked about is the 49ers and Trey Lance being out for the season and Jimmy G coming in and winning that game over the Seahawks. I mean, how, how happy do you feel if you're, uh, John Lynch and you didn't trade Jimmy G. I mean, geez, did you, did you, have you seen his contract structure? Yeah. So he uh, reduces base salary down from 24 to 13 to resign. But in there, there was a stipulation that if he played 20 in the games that he played, if he played 25% of the snaps, he was guaranteed 250,000 additional. And then if they win the game, it's another 100,000. So for every win moving forward this year, you can just track it. It's 350,000 clearing like every single game for the 49ers. I just thought that was insane. I saw that after the game when a reporter asked him, was like, hey, how does getting, you know, make known that you made 350,000 today feel? And he's like, oh, I hadn't thought about it, but it feels pretty dang good. For <laughs> insanity. I know. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a bummer for the Trey Lance situation. I think obviously it just sucks to see any player injured, but especially someone that's had so much talk and so much promise and the team, Kyle Shanahan and the entire 49ers had like committed to him as their guy and for him to go out and especially like, cause he was looking good like that first drive, like it was like, he was looking inept and everything was flowing. And then to have an injury like that, it just sucks. And you could just see it all over his face, the heartbreak and everything. And it was also just kind of funny. Cause I mean, obviously it sucks for Trey Lance. That's super sad, but there was also a moment where the camera switched over to Jimmy G while he was warming up. And you could just see the smirk on Jimmy G's face of like, yeah. like, 
it's like maybe he just had one of those feelings. Like maybe there's a reason Jimmy G stayed in 49ers. Like he just ha- probably had one of those feelings that like he should stick around and he was going to get his chance again. And I do think the one thing that was fun to see is like how the fans reacted that they that they were all like excited that he was there. He was signing jerseys after the game and they're all freaking out. So a real bummer for Trey Lance. Interested to see what's going to happen to him. You know, a lot of the times when those young players get hurt, uh, especially multiple times, it's like at that point, who like, is anyone going to trust them to be a starter versus that he just going to become like a Teddy Bridgewater where he's moving around the NFL as a backup for a while. And that's the most difficult thing because he just hasn't played a ton of football at the upper levels. You know, he had, I believe 2019 was his year in North Dakota state where he won the national championship. He didn't even throw an interception was phenomenal. 2020 hits obviously we all know the crap that happened then he plays one game and then opts out for the rest of the year just to work on his draft stock so he played i believe a total of like 13 to 14 college games he gets into the nfl um after starting just the one year obviously sits majority of last year saw some start against the cardinals had a few game reps um but now is going to go on where he had a monsoon game week 1 had a quarter in San Francisco and is now going to be out again um just for his progression and his ability to grow through some of those things it's just really really tough so now we're looking well, at like, to, go ahead oh sorry i was just going to say i mean you also have to think about it like the 49ers like yeah obviously we care about the individuals but they're also a business and they have to operate like a business and when you sign a rookie quarterback you're signing a rookie quarterback with the guarantee that for like 5 years you can underpay them mm-hmm. and so it's like if he three he's going to have it's going to be entering like his third year and we haven't seen if he is going to be the guy and so it's like at that point they're looking at the fourth year option and the fifth year option and they have to make these decisions on how much they're going to pay someone that they can't can't even have data or proof to back up that it's worth to pay him. And so I think that's where it's really going to hurt Trey. hundred percent. And, um, and I, and I feel like for, for the 49ers, an opportunity where they gave up three first round picks for the guy, they gave 21, 22 and 23. Um, that hurts. I mean, because now if you look at a situation where Jimmy G starts for the entire, uh, will start for the entire year, they have a Super Bowl roster on defense and offense and a quarterback that has taken him there. What do you do as a franchise if he does it again? Like, I think, I think they'll, they'll be competitive with the Rams and win the division, be a higher seed. And, and maybe they get those playoff games at home. And much like a couple of years ago, they win those games. Do you let a quarterback leave that's taking you to two Super Bowls and even or deep in the playoffs because he went to the NFC Championship game last year for a quarterback who is coming off an ankle surgery and again is just so like so many question marks about him because you know Jimmy G's not going to sign back with him unless he knows he's the starter, but you know. But for them, the only way that they could re-sign him is if they ship Trey off. So I think they found a, a year of bliss now where they can try their best to win the Super Bowl. But it's going to be a very chaotic offseason for them when those decisions have to be made. They're just going to be living in ignorance until then, I think. I know. And I think my biggest frustration is it's like the conversation that we heard on every sports network for the past six months is going to happen again come March. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Is Trey Lance the guy? What's this hot take? What's going to happen to Jimmy G? Where's Jimmy G going to go? What's Kyle Shanahan's take going to be? It's just going to be the same. It's going to be like deja vu all 2023. 
Did you see that article that, about Pete Carroll and him trying to hype up his team before the season? Mm-mm. So it came out before the kickoff of that game against the Niners that Pete Carroll has this optimistic belief that the Seahawks can pull off what the Dolphins did in 1972 and, and have a perfect season. Came to a, a shuddering stop. Yeah, so I guess two. I guess 19 and one is still on the table. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but they didn't look very good. I mean, it, it's kind of what we, we I, I believe I said this or what we said this when we were recapping that game that um, he's, he's going to come back down to earth. It's Gino Smith. Like it's not anything against him. I'm happy that he had his moment and that there was you know for that fan base kind of a, a rallying behind the team and a big win against the Broncos. But it's Geno Smith. We know who he is. We've seen enough game film of him, seen enough of him in action. He's going to be dink and dunk, um, going to be inaccurate at times, and you're just not going to win very many football games. I mean, it's just the honest truth. So but They wrote um, him off, and he didn't write back. Did he, he filed a trademark for that. He did. He did. Yeah, he's trying to make so that I money. I believe it was, they wrote me off. I didn't. I ain't write back, though. That's fresh. Was the correct terminology? I think it's I, I yeah I can't remember, but you know keeping that division the Rams almost blew that lead to the Falcons. Are you nervous about the Rams at all? I uh, yeah I'm I'm nervous, but I also think that a lot of teams will have those moments when a team starts fighting back into the in like the second half. Um, but I still just think we saw a lot of weaknesses. I mean, we all kind of know the concerns around Matthew Stafford's arm. We all know that eventually he's going to have to have the Tommy John's surgery at some point in his life. Um, So you can just kind of see that when he's throwing. But I don't know. I think I have more concerns about their defense. I'm a little bit surprised by the Rams defense and their lack of production and for them allowing a team like the Falcons to like crawl back into that game. So, I mean, I think 31 points, like that's a really decent score. That's a really decent like amount of points to score to win a football game. So it's just surprising that the defense would like let that hold slip. Can I give you a hot take based on the first two weeks on the Rams? Let's hear it. I think they're going to be out of the division race on October 30th. Oh, that is a hot take. Listen to the schedule. Okay. They still have the hardest schedule. They play the Cardinals in Arizona and division games no matter what I think of the Cardinals, division games are tough. I do think the Rams win, but we'll get to that later. They then play in San Francisco. They play at home against the Cowboys. They play at home against the Panthers, and then they play San Francisco again. So they play San Francisco two out of four weeks. And they play the Cardinals, which if things don't fall their way in these games and what I've seen from Matthew Stafford in that defense, like you mentioned in the first two weeks, I could very easily see the seeing that see them being 0-3 in the division. And that would essentially put them, I mean, it would put them two full games behind San Francisco, where they'd have to, you know, catch up to them, basically win three more games than them the rest of the year, which, you know, if you're already falling that far behind, probably isn't gonna happen. And then they follow that up by playing the Bucks um in Tampa, home against the Cardinals. Uh, in New Orleans and then home against the Rams. So if they're not out of it by October 30th, say they split those 49ers games, I think by end of November is going to be like, well, chalk that up to Super Bowl hangover. Maybe we put Matthew Stafford on the shelf, see if there's any surgery that we could potentially do and kind of refresh this going into next year, build up the pieces. I don't know, but yeah. I just don't I just don't see it this year. I, I, think, I think the Niners are going to run away at the division. 
And the more I look at it, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cardinals finished second. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that uh, it's one of those situations where it was like last year, it was talked a lot about how the Rams had built the perfect team to win the Super Bowl in one year, but it wasn't sustainable, obviously, because they had picked up a lot of guys that um, hit salary cap and there was no way for them to carry that over into the next year. But like bringing Vaughn Miller in and stuff, it's because they were in a good spot and they're like, let's bring in someone else, another playmaker that can help us get there. So I think it's totally reasonable to think that I don't even want to call it Super Bowl hangover. It's just one of those things where it's like they had built the perfect team for the that season that they needed the exact players and against the p- teams that they were playing against. And now we're just going to kind of see not a complete collapse. I still think that they're going to have like a general, I think we could see them the way that they're playing. I kind of see them now at like a nine and eight level. Um, But I think they'll still have a winning season. It's just in their division. Like I don't see these guys making the playoffs. Yeah. And I mean, the toughest thing for the NFC West is they played the AFC West this year, which is the best division of football. And that comes with a lot of challenges. And it all just their their season moving forward and seasons going beyond all just stem on the health of Matthew Stafford. I just don't see the same quarterback that we even saw last year or the years in Detroit where he could whip it around the football field and make any throw. Um, the Falcons are the Falcons. There's really nothing to say about them. It'll, it's gonna, yeah. just going to be a very tough year. If you're <laughs> Arthur Smith, you just hope that you could stay frisky in every game so that you just tell ownership, hey, like I was under-talented or – Uh, you know, had the less talent on the field every single game. Uh, I was just frisky. So that's all that matters. (laughs) I know. I think uh, a couple things that are really shocking that I don't think anybody like was really thinking would happen. The New York football giants are two and oh, Ryan seems to really be doing good things over there. Um, And then jets, pull off a win over the Browns. So we've got the two New York teams winning in week two, which if you probably looked at the betting odds of both New York teams winning on week two, I bet those would be extremely low. <laughs> Did you hear that there's a stat about the four New York teams playing right now, the Giants, the Jets, the Mets, and the Yankees? All four of them won on Sunday. I want you to guess the year that the last time that has happened. 1952. Oh, that's okay. 2001. I still thought that was a a good amount of time. So way to go. I was expecting it to be a lot worse. Uh, Yeah, it was. uh, Yeah, 2001. So it's been a a long time coming. Obviously, um, that Brown, that Browns loss really hurts. Um, You know, as much as cool it is for the Jets to to win. Obviously, I think they're they're just going to have a tough year. It'd be very interesting to see. They have a lot of good skill positions. It'll be very interesting to see when Zach Wilson comes back, um, how well he performs because Joe Flacco was slinging around the field on Sunday. Uh, But the Browns, I think that, you know, that they were kind of building momentum. Jacoby Brissett played really well. Um, You know, they're going to face a a, a couple games here where it's pretty winnable for him, but that one hurts for him because if Nick Chubb just falls down, doesn't score the touchdown, they run the clock out. And even before then, Kareem Hunt ran out of bounds before the two-minute warning. So it was just like dumb mental errors that they did that this shouldn't have happened. And it's always so funny because when they score the touchdown or when they fall down, everyone that owns them in fantasy is like, no, it doesn't matter. You're still going to win the game. Get the touchdown. But this is why they do it. This is why they fall down. Because football is the weirdest game in the world and just weird crap happens. 
it's just insanity. I think that's the funnest thing about the one thing I love the most about football is the fact that like through majority of the game, it'll take five, seven minutes to get a good drive going down the field, scoring a touchdown. But then in the fourth quarter, you can see teams score four touchdowns in the last two minutes and 35 seconds. It's just weird. Complete insanity about like, why didn't you do this the whole game? You idiots. I always think that when the, like if we're going back to the Vikings, when they go no huddle and move the ball and particularly in the Zimmer era, because obviously we don't have enough film on O'Connell, but it was always just crazy because it'd be like, 10 to three and a lot of NFL games like this, like you said, it's like 10 to three at halftime. The quarterbacks have 80 yards and you're like, how do these guys ever get to 400, 300 yards? Like this game, like the first quarter went by in like 10 minutes. Like what is going on? Uh, But yeah, then all of a sudden it just goes insane and they start pushing the envelope. And um, that game was wild. I mean, you got to be really concerned if you're the Browns because that, I mean, the couple touchdowns they gave up were crazy. Amari Cooper couldn't field the, the onside kick, and you let Joe Flacco beat you down 13 under two minutes. Just Especially in week two, a week after Joe Flacco, who's old, had thrown 60 passes. Well, I think he threw close to that this game. Let me pull I it thought up. His ar- I thought his arm was going to be so sore that he would look real bad this week, but Joe Flacco, he got it done. 26, he threw 44 times. Insanity. So 104, he's averaging, let's see. So if he did 104, that's at 52 uh, times 17. He's on pace to throw 884 times this year. If he were to play all 17 games, that is, he's like, I did not sign up for this. I thought it was just going to be a lowly backup and, and just collect my paycheck. My arm's going to fall off. Thinking of stats about 100 times, uh Currently, Joe Burrow is on set. If it keeps going at this pace, he'll be sacked about 111 times this season. Yeah, pretty rough. So how concerned are you about the 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals? Um, You got to be concerned. Um, I think think watching that game on Sunday, there's a certain level of, like, confidence you have in Joe Burrow because nothing was really working for him. He was getting hit a ton. Things were stalling out, but you just saw him hang in there and he had the lead late in the game. Like when you have a quarterback that ascends that next level, I think it's pretty cool to see that nothing was working for him all game. But in the fourth quarter, when they needed a drive, he put it together and they got eight points, took the lead. Um, But that being said, I just think there's got to be a better game plan by Zach Taylor. I think he, he falls in love with the fact that he has Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, that he feels like we need to do these seven-step, really sexy uh, crossing routes that are intermediate to deep. When, when you have an offensive line that's struggling to be in rhythm and protection, and you got a guy like on Sunday, Micah Parsons, and on the week before, J.J. Watt, be quick. Get the ball out in three steps. Get the balls. Get it just in their hand. Make it an extended handoff so they get it and move. This this like repeated five to seven drop back over and over again, and just watching your quarterback get pummeled is just it's it mind boggling. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me why you would put your quarterback through that. Change your game plan until your offensive line proves that it can do some different things. Well, and that's the thing too, is that like Joe Burrow just has no time to hit his, to hit Jamar Chase on the ways that we would expect a 
wide receiver like Jamar Chase to be hit. I mean, Sunday it was he had five receptions for 54 yards. Like right. that is not what that's not the kind of output that you would expect from a combination like Burrow and Chase. And it's just I think it is true. Like it is hard. It is always like, oh wow, like Joe Burrow is such a good quarterback that he's still able to pull in these games, even though he literally has two seconds flat to throw the throw the ball or else he's being chased down and being hit so yeah I'm just like it's just it's crazy to me that they like this was understand like we understood this last year like oh the o-line is the problem and somehow Joe Burrow still made it to the Super Bowl and they spent all this money in the offseason to fix the problem and it looks worse this year like he doesn't have any time like it is like insanity to me that I'm like why like how did you put all your money into this problem and it is worse than you were last year no, and it, it's got to suck if you're Joe Burrow because, I mean, getting hit by those dudes has got to suck. Like those big, strong, fast freaks of nature. Well, and just the risk of injury to a quarterback like Joe Burrow, it's terrifying to see, to just be every time he gets hit of like, could this be like a season-ending injury for Burrow? They have a, a bounce-back game where they get to play uh, New York Jets on the road. Uh, then they face the Dolphins and Ravens, uh, Saints, Falcons. So the next five, you look at it, and, and three of the five are pretty tough. I mean, the the Dolphins ain't no slouch. The Ravens are good, and the Saints. So when you lose games that you should win, which are the first two weeks, I think that's where the 0-2, and, and let's just jump into it, because that's where the 0-2 really starts to get you. When you lose the games against Cooper Rush, We've experienced that exact same thing last year. It's hard to when you have to beat the really, really good teams and you don't. That's why you don't make the playoffs because um, playing in Baltimore isn't easy. And I know they went 2-0 against Baltimore last year, but it's a divisional opponent that has historically owned them. To do that is tough. And when your season is standing on it, it makes it even more difficult. So I'm going to read off the teams in the AFC page that are 0-2. Um, I want you, there's only three of them. So I want you to, I'm going to include the ones that went, Oh, one and one. Cause I think that's hilarious. They're basically Owen two. Um, and you let me know. So the Raiders are Owen two. They were your, I think they were your pick to win the division. Weren't they? Or second pick? seed. Second seed. Yeah, well, um, then the Bengals, uh, and then Texans, Colts, Titans in that lowly AFC South. So out of those teams, which is the one team that you think has the best chance of making the playoffs? Oof. Uh, I'm still going to put my, I, I'm still going to say the Raiders. The Raiders? <laughs> listen, I listen. respect your commitment to the take. I really do. No, I just think, I don't know. I think that I just don't foresee I don't know. I don't know how the I don't know how the Bengals win games with the O-line playing that way. And obviously I don't think they're going to stay as bad. I don't think Joe Burrow's going to get sacked six times every single game, but it is a huge cause for concern and I think this is going to be a really disappointing for Bengals, a really disappointing season for Bengals as they try to figure all of that out. Um the the Raiders, I just think that I think that they're going to be that team that they're going to lose a lot of really dumb games, but then they're going to win a lot of really great games. And so I think that Derek Carr and Devontae Adams are going to carry over some really awesome plays that are going to lead them to victory. Um, Let me pull up the 
Raiders upcoming schedule. It ain't easy. They play the Cardinals. Not that they played the Cardinals. They play the 0-2. Uh, I just mentioned it. The Titans. So they're playing yeah. the Titans on Sunday. I could foresee there. I think that's where the Raiders will get the first win. I think we're going to see the Titans go 0-3. Um, and then I'm actually really excited to see the Broncos Raiders matchup. We haven't talked about the Broncos game yet, but that game, the Broncos look really bad. And that's probably wow. the biggest, that's my probably biggest take that I'm going to regret the rest of the season is thinking that the Broncos were going to be so good. Um, it they that is just ugly football. Both, both games that I've watched the Broncos, it's just like painful to kind of watch yes. that offense. Very and much. so I I think that the Raiders are going to beat the Titans and then I think they'll beat the Broncos. Um, so they'll be two and two going into their game against the Chiefs. Um, obviously, I don't think they're going to pull out a win there. But then they've got the Texans, Saints and Jaguars, which I think are winnable games for them. Yeah, I, I I don't see where you're wrong. I when it comes down to like any of these type of decisions, I always just look at what are the quarterbacks I'm working with, and things haven't been pretty in either of the Pittsburgh or the Cowboys game. But in each game, Burrow gave the team his team the lead late, um, or a chance to take the lead late. Obviously, they missed PAT. So, I mean, you're talking where you're literally two to three plays away. And this is the same for a lot of teams. Um, that's just the beauty of football. But the Bengals are two to three plays away from being 2-0. and uh, their, their long snapper not getting hurt in week one from being at least 1-1. One and one. So, I just look at it where uh, I'm just going to trust in Burrow. And I think that he will um, help us send them, um, you know, kind of out of this hole and – they're yeah, going to have to point because I mean, Joe Burrow won week one's game three different times and Evan McPherson right. missed the field goals. And because so the snap was so bad because their, their backup tight end was the one snapping it. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that that's, a, I think it's true that it's like Joe Burrow is one of those quarterbacks that you can, you can put your trust in to win you games. Yeah. It uh, just hasn't been, it has been pretty, but he's given them a shot. Um, in the NFC, we have the Panthers and the Falcons and only 0-2 teams. I'm not even going to put that question. I don't think either of these teams are making the playoffs. I think there's a lot better teams in every one of the divisions. So, um, yeah, It looks like a Baker Mayfield that he actually hasn't been unchained, as he wanted everyone to believe. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> he's one of those quarterbacks that the more time I see him back in the pocket, dan like dancing around, you know, typically if a quarterback falls back there and he has like a really good pocket, you're like, oh, big play's about to come. Like it's an NFL level quarterback. He's about to make a dope throw. Baker Mayfield, like I anytime that game popped up on the red zone, I felt like they were the red zone like 10 to 15 times. And he had all the time in the world and just would prance around, prance around, and then just run or like throw way inaccurate. Um so it just I just don't think he's really the guy. I've wanted to believe in Baker Mayfield, but I just don't think he is. So same. Maybe the Browns are on to something. Um yeah, probably. They're around him a lot more than we are. So sometimes yeah. we should just trust their judgment. <laughs> but they also signed Deshaun Watson, so don't trust their judgment too much. Well, I guess they're <laughs> football town judgment, not people. <laughs> people evaluate. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the kind of the games we haven't really touched on, we will get to the Vikings Eagles one in our skull edition, uh, preview or 
our Skull Edition pod that we do centered on our love for the Vikings or hate, depending on the week. Um, the, really, the only one that we have mentioned is the Packers Bears game. But can we really stop? Is, can we just stop putting Packers Bears games in prime time? Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. Um, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of watching the same game over and over and over again. Like Aaron Rodgers is always going to destroy them until the Bears put some sort of cohesiveness together. And so let's just stop. Like I understand it's been a fun rivalry, but it hasn't been a good rivalry forever. Like the Vikings Packers games are the ones that should be nationally televised if you're going to do a divisional rivalry with the Packers because the Bears. No, just stop this mass mayhem. That we have to endure. I'm gonna give you a stat line, and you tell me um, if it's a quarter, a half, or a full game. Seven for 11, 70 yards, and an interception. A quarter. That was Justin Fields on Sunday night for the entirety of the football game. (laughs) He went seven for 11 for 70 yards. I don't. I don't know how that's possible. So he threw only eight times in the monsoon game and everyone's like, Oh, it's, you know, of course he did that. It was hard to throw. Okay. Yeah. But that game, the weather was perfect Sunday night. What are we doing? Throwing 11 times. I, I don't know. Like the more I see of Justin Fields play, the more I wonder, um, if it's either, you know, for a long time last year, I just thought it was Nagy. Nagy just kind of, you know, he doesn't feel succeed. like Nagy's still there, though. It feels like the same exact play calling. Like, yeah. I'm confused. It feels like a Matt Nagy offense. It does. And that's what's weird. And, and now to see like no progression um, from him, I mean, the Packers defense is is going to be really good. They're, you know, kind of touted as one of the best. So kind of looking ahead. The Bears play at home against the Texans, and if he does not show like any aggression or any like a, like wanting to push the ball downfield, I think as a Chicago fan, you got to start getting really nervous because there's you can't. That's like a Tim Tebow game. You mm-hmm. can't win like that in the NFL anymore. Like you can't. Um, even Cam Newton, for everyone thinking that he was a runner, Michael Vick, they threw and they were great down the field throwers of the football and they would throw it 25 to 30 times a game, even though they have insane running ability. So I just, I'm worried about not, I'm not worried about it because I don't like the bears. Obviously I'm biased that way, but if you're a bears fan, I think you should start being worried that your quarterback is afraid to push the ball down the field and make and make throws. I mean, 11 attempts in an entire football game in the NFL is insane. Like it's just insane. Yeah, it's pure insanity. And also, it's like Montgomery is the only bright spot to me of the entire Bears' existence right now. And so, it's like they've got one running back that's exciting. Everything else about their offense is disturbing. Name one wide receiver on the Bears. Can't do it. I only can't because of Red Zone. I know they have Dante Pettis and the uh, Equinemius St. Brown. But that's because they both have caught touchdown passes. Oh, yeah. How could I ever forget Equinemius? Same brand. Like I don't know. A, that's a name that just lives with you. I know. That's on you. I'll be <laughs> lives honest. Lives in your brain. <laughs> that's on you. Um, yeah. I mean, that kind of wraps up week two. Are there any closing thoughts that you have on uh, the second week of the NFL season? Kirk Cousins should never be asked to play in Monday Night Football. <laughs> and we will get to that I- on our school edition <laughs> podcast. Tune into that if you're a diehard Vikings fan or if you just like to listen to pain. 
what is the word a sadist if you like pain is that the word for it but i don't know either way this wraps up the his and hers podcast week two recap thanks all for tuning in we hope you have a great week and catch us later this week with our preview of week three